Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. He still is. You see, when the women heard this on that day all those years ago, they ran back to the disciples, and they wanted to share with them the great news of what they have found and what they've heard. Now, the disciples couldn't believe what they were saying, and they had to go see with their own two eyes, if you remember. They rushed out. They ran all the way to the grave. And when they got there, they saw the same thing, nothing. And when they stepped in and looked at each other, they realized that he had risen. But it says that some had believed and others still needed convincing. Now, the scripture says that Jesus appeared eight different times between the resurrection and the ascension that we know of, that's written about, eight different times. Now, the very first time that he appeared was with Mary Magdalene, the one who had been with him through it all, who had followed him everywhere. She had the joy of seeing him first. Then Jesus appears to two men walking to Emmaus while hiding his identity. He appeared to them, and they were walking away from Jerusalem, and he hid his appearance, and he overheard their conversation of sadness, of what took place, of the events, and doubt in their hearts. I don't know. that They said he rose. I'm not too sure. And actually, the scripture says that Jesus traveled with them long enough on the road that he actually shared with them every single prophecy from the Old Testament saying that the Messiah would have to die and rise again. That, listen, I do this for a living. That's a long time to, have, to share all the prophecies. He was with them for a while. And then the scripture says that it was time to eat dinner. And so when they sat down, and as soon as they started to break bread, then he was revealed to them. And the second they realized that he was Jesus, he disappeared. Just imagine that. Being in the presence of Jesus and never knowing it. Imagine that. And then as the scripture continues to say here that there was another time that he appeared to the disciples when they were actually behind closed and locked doors. No way in. But suddenly, he was there. And Thomas wasn't with them. Actually, it was all the disciples but Thomas. And then the scripture says that when Jesus was with the disciples, he, and we just, we just talked about this, he breathed on them. That's what the scripture said. He breathed on the disciples. And then he told them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed. And then he told them, if you, my disciples, if you forgive anyone of their sins, then they are forgiven. 
Now the disciples told Thomas what had happened. Oh, you missed it, man. I don't know what you were doing, but you weren't with us. You're not going to believe this. And the scripture says is that he didn't believe it, that he doubted everything that they said. And so the next appearance later on we get is Jesus going with Tom, appearing straight to Thomas. And then Jesus showed him his scars, and he showed him everything that should, he has risen from the dead. And Thomas touched it all. I can't, this is really you. I can't believe this. And then the scripture says here that Jesus tells him, well, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those that believe yet have not seen. And then he appears to seven of his disciples while they were fishing in Galilee. While eating breakfast with them, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And after Peter finally goes through the drill and says, yes, Lord, I do. Yes, Lord, I do. Yes, Lord, I do. Then Jesus tells him that his journey, Peter's journey, will end in death because of that love. And then according to 1 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, he actually references two times when Jesus appeared after the resurrection that are not recorded in the Gospels. Only you can find this in 1 Corinthians. He appeared, he said, to a crowd of over 500 people at one time. That he appeared to them. And then he appeared a second time privately to his half-brother James. Now, I would love to know what that conversation was like. It's not written. But can you just imagine the half-brother of Jesus getting a one-on-one -on -one just with him after his resurrection? And then finally, the last time was at the ascension itself. Jesus' final words to his disciples before he goes to be with the Father, he tells them, go into all the world and preach the good news. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, he says. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then he tells them, before he goes up, he tells them that those who truly believe, those who really believe in me, you will identify them with these things. He says that they will be able to cast out demons. They'll speak in tongues and languages. They will heal the sick. And then after that, Jesus ascends into heaven. And as they thought, as they were watching him go up into the clouds, the scripture says that two angels appeared to the disciples, stood right next to them. And they said to them, Surely I tell you that Jesus will return again to this earth. And he will return the same way that you are watching him leave now. On the cloud. And so now the disciples, it's time to get to work. Let's pray. Father, we pray now over just the scripture that we're going to look and dive into today. Father, I pray for your clarity and your understanding and the things that we're going to be looking at. Lord, I pray for my preparation and just the study and the, and the revelation you've laid on me. May it only be your gospel truth. 
And if it isn't, then just wipe it away from my tongue. Lord, today when we walk away from here, Father, we want our, our hearts and our cups to be full of you, but Father, we want the Holy Spirit. So Lord, help us and guide us. And Lord, we preached only truth. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Tell you what, uh, Cheryl, thank you for that time of prayer. I mean, it just really ushered us in to, uh, I mean, he had no idea what I was going to preach on. But here we are, talking about breathing in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. I mean, that was evident that God had put that on your heart. And then I don't know about the rest of you, but I can sit and listen to Nick read scripture. I could probably listen to read the entire Bible. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I, have you ever considered doing an audio book, maybe? Just kind of going and recording the Bible. Uh, I just... Thank you for doing that. That was very well read. Uh, and I believe every pronunciation you said. In fact, I'm making corrections now. Yeah. <laughs> but let me just, I want to just start off by saying this. He is risen. He is risen. All right, so I don't want you to get cold on that. You know, we still got a year for Easter to come around. And I know that we really focus on the resurrection on Easter more than probably any other day of the year. And we should. Like, we should do that. But I don't ever want what took place on that day to ever get comfortable or cold to us. It's what sets us apart. It's what makes us different, is that our God rose from the dead. Uh, he's, not, he's not dead. <laughs> he's alive. So we can't get comfortable with that, right? That, that's the very core essence of our faith. And so now here, we can, and in fact, we just read just a moment ago that not only is he risen, but he's going to return, that, that, that he's going to come down from the clouds, the lion and the lamb. My goodness. But this is serious stuff. We can't get comfortable with that. Now, what I want to tell you is what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. Uh, for whatever reason, I was, I was planning through and talking, you know, figuring out what these next few weeks are going to look at. Uh, I, just the book of Ephesians kept jumping out at me. So we're, we're going to dive into Ephesians, and we're going to kind of just go through that book, and we'll take a couple of weeks to do that, uh, but we're, we're going to look into Ephesians. Now, unlike any other letters of Paul, uh, in fact, we've got quite a few, you know, we, we, the fancy word is epistle, but that means it's a letter, and it's a letter that he wrote to all the churches that he visited, and all, he wanted to check up on them, and, and well, mo quite honestly, most of the time, it was you're not quite doing this right. Let me, let me, let me tell you what, what I meant by that. Or, and in some cases, some of Paul's disciples went and started churches. And then he was following up on that. You know, well, you, you, the instruction wasn't quite clear. Let me help you. Here's what that, and most of the letters are written in that way. But when we look at Ephesians, it's actually written so that the reader, in this case, the Ephesians, the reader might understand God's eternal purpose. There's actually no correction in the entire letter of Ephesians. They weren't doing anything that Paul needed to address or, well, you really need to fix this up a little bit. You don't find that in Ephesians. He was actually kind of sharing in a way, going, keep it going. And he was sharing just more spiritual depth, more truth with them. You know, that's why oftentimes in the church we go to Ephesians to find that, you know, we say the meats, you know, right? We find that, that spiritual depth. Well, that's what he was feeding them. He just kept pushing that on them. And then we see here that he preaches on grace. He preaches on salvation. 
And he even talks about the high goals that God has for the church. That God has some goal. He has some standards for the church. And he kind of writes that in Ephesians as well. But before we jump into that Ephesians and just go straight into the letter and look at chapter 1, we actually need to take a small little detour. We got to, well, if, actually, if we really want to get a good context of what Ephesians looks like, we got to start at the beginning. We actually have to go to the book of Acts. You see, Acts is the history of the entire church. So our history, your and my history, is found in those pages. And we can see, when we know when we read through Acts, there's a couple of main characters in there. You know, Peter kind of starts us off and gets us going. But eventually we run into this guy named Saul, converted to Paul, and he ends up playing a pretty big role in the church. And he started kind of going out to the Gentiles. That was really the special calling that God placed on Paul was to take the message to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and, and just started. And he, and he did his job very well. He took it very seriously, and he pushed that out. And so we read that Paul went on three missionary journeys. And it's funny how they're called that, missionary journeys. That he started off usually in Antioch, and then he would go throughout Asia Minor, and he would plant churches throughout the way. He would do one, a couple of years, come back, and do another one, and then do another one. And this is what Paul's legacy really is left to, is the planting of all these churches. Now, funny enough, that most of all the churches that he planted, we can read the follow-up letters, what we just talked about, to those churches. So when you're reading 1st and 2nd Corinthians or Romans or any of those letters, you can actually find them in Acts and give you the context of what was taking place. What was happening when Paul first arrived. And so here... We read in Acts chapter 19 that Paul is on his third and final missionary journey. So he's kind of done this a few times, but we read that this is the first time that he is stopping into Ephesus, which is a major city, a huge city. And so he decides that it was time to pay them a visit. Now, before Paul gets to Ephesus, before he actually arrives to that city, the scripture says that we read that a disciple named Apollos has already been in the city preaching the gospel. That Apollos went ahead of him and he was preaching and he was teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Apollos is not mentioned in scripture before this time. We don't have any context for him. Uh, but what we can read, what we know about this guy named Apollos is that he has indeed heard the gospel, he has been transformed by it, and he is sharing it with everyone he comes into contact with. You're not going to believe this. I just met this guy named Jesus. And he's telling everybody he knows in this city about this Jesus guy. And so the scripture says, and here's what I found interesting, is that it actually said that it actually wrote this out. It says that Apollos was knowledgeable of the scriptures. And he spoke with great authority that Jesus was the Messiah. And then it says that he taught about Jesus accurately. Accurately. He actually received the message of the gospel, and he was teaching it accurately to those in Ephesus. And so here is that we read 
is that he was preaching about the story and the gospel of Jesus, but he was teaching them about water baptism, commonly referred to as the baptism of John. And so when Paul arrived in Ephesus, when he finally got there, let me go and show these, I'm going to tell the people about Jesus in Ephesus. When he showed up, he's like, whoa, these guys know Jesus. Someone's gone ahead of me. Someone's been here before. And so we see that here the gospel has already been preached. The soil is already fertile for Paul to step in. And that, in fact, it says that he agreed that it was a true gospel of Jesus Christ that they had received. And so here, in fact, many had already been baptized before Paul arrived. It had already been taking place. This is a situation that he didn't find himself walking into very often. Usually it was coming in cold. And Paul's strategy was usually we start with the Jewish synagogue and then we're going to try to convince the Jews. And when that doesn't work most of the time, then we'll go to the Gentiles. And then we'll go there and spend my time with the Gentiles. And so Paul's showing up and it's going, wow, the gospel's already been preached. And many have already been baptized. And so here, uh, this is funny to me, I don't know. But Paul shows up to Ephesus, and then he sees a group of disciples. He says just like 12 of them kind of hanging about, hanging out. And so Paul's new in town. He walks over to them, and he just kind of strikes up a conversation. And so they, the disciples, tell them, that, or tell Paul that they believe in Jesus. Yes, we believe in him. We know exactly who he is. And they kind of both, and, and we've been baptized. So we're, we're, we're on the team. We know Jesus and we've been baptized. Now, it didn't take Paul very long to notice that, that even though Jesus was being preached, water baptism was being performed, it didn't take long for Paul to realize that there was still, there was still something missing, just something was missing. And so he asked the disciples a question, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they all kind of look at each other. No. We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? And so they, they, Paul replies here that, that John's, he tells them, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But the Holy Spirit's baptism is one of sanctification. And then the scripture says that Paul lays his hands on these I mean, he just came into town hey i'm paul have you been you know Jesus? okay he lays hands on them and within the first entrance into ephesus the scripture says that he prays and that all 12 of them receive the holy spirit just receives the holy spirit and that the scripture says they begin to speak in tongues they, they begin to speak languages that they did not know before they begin to prophesy right there i mean paul's just coming into town they had received the Holy Spirit. And then, then I want to just say that, that there, is, there is a difference between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between the two. Now, I know, I know that we argue in the church over the topic of baptism. And in fact, we've even made it a dividing issue between denominations. To do it, not to do it, is it important, not important, et cetera, et cetera. But the scripture clearly tells us what the most important thing is to Christ. In fact, 
before Jesus ascended. Remember, we just read before he ascended into heaven. He told his disciples to go into the world and preach the good news. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now I want you to notice. I spent some time on this. I want you to notice what is required to escape condemnation. Jesus only said that one thing is required to be with him. Belief. To believe. Not baptism. Your salvation with him does not rest on water baptism. It rests on your belief, on your heart, in him. Water baptism is only the picture of a new life, but not the means of securing your salvation. However, however, water baptism is scriptural. 100%. It has its place in the church. And it should not be disregarded as less than. In fact, all the sacraments should be viewed in this way. Not less than. We should view, view them as a part of the experience of the church. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is different from water baptism. It's different. It is often referred to as the second blessing. You've heard this before, the second blessing. The first blessing is salvation. It's receiving Christ. That's the first blessing. But the second blessing is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can see actually both blessings represented in this scripture. Just by reading this one chapter, we can see both of them taking place. The new disciples, they they had received the first blessing. They had received Christ and been baptized through John's baptism. But Paul told them, he told them, but there's more. My God has more for you. That our God is a God of double blessings. That he he wants to save you, but there's more. And so he gave his son to save us and his spirit to sanctify us. Now, what does that look like to sanctify? What does does that mean, Captain? What what does all this talk about that? Well, the, the scripture tells us. It says that Paul stayed in Ephesus for almost three years. It's one of the longest stays he ever did in any of his journeys. He stayed in Ephesus for three years preaching, teaching, and baptizing with the Holy Spirit. It says that the new disciples that were coming in, that the new disciples, they spoke in tongues, that they were healing the sick, they were casting out demons, all the things that Christ had said when he was ascending. Then, much like today, when when, when people start seeing success, when they start seeing, oh, there's something going on over there, I want to be a part of that, the scripture takes us to a very interesting side story. It's like we're following Paul, but then we take a quick little pause, and then we're going to do a side story. And we're introduced to a few, a few brothers. There were seven brothers, and they were the sons of Sceva, some Jewish 
chief priest in that region. And when we read about them, when we look at them, what we can see is that these seven brothers, who were, who's, were you know, their dad was this hotshot, a religious official, their job, or kind of their role in the town, was they were kind of the Jewish exorcist. That's what they did. And so they went around trying to cast out demons out of everybody. Now, what we can read and what we can know is that these guys, these brothers, were really kind of using more superstition or ceremony in their services. They weren't, it wasn't really spiritual at all. And so these brothers started to look out to Paul and go, well, this guy's taking all of our business. He's casting out demons, and they're listening to him. I mean, on his command, they're leaving these people. And so they do, well, they do what anyone that's up and coming, you know, trying to be a good professional, is you copy someone that's really good at it. All right, you know, when I was a very young lieutenant, I would, my wife can attest to this, I would sit in my office and I would listen to who I thought were really good preachers. And I would just try, how did he do that? How's he do that? You know, and so you just try to mimic and try to copy, right? And so when, when these guys, they saw Paul and were going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to mimic this guy. I'm going to try to do what he's doing. So the scripture says that these brothers went around town saying, all right, demons, in the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And they didn't. Nothing happened. All right, it's our first time. No big deal. Let's try it again. And they kept going and kept going and kept going. All right, listen up. In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And nothing and then the scripture says here that one day they were up to a demon-possessed man. And they did the same thing. They went, through the, they went through the ritual. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. But this time, it says that the demon-possessed man responded back. The evil spirit said, I know Jesus, and I even know about Paul, but I don't know you. Who are you? And then the scripture says that the possessed man jumped on the brothers. He overpowered them, and he beat them until they were naked and bleeding, running out of the house. I want to say they failed because they had no personal relationship with Jesus. They only knew that Jesus, they only knew the Jesus through Paul. It was his Jesus. But it was not their God. That was, he wasn't my Jesus. He wasn't my God. To them, he was the God that Paul preaches. I mean, this is still true today. And for many, he's just the God that Captain preaches that my spouse preaches, that my friends preach, but he maybe isn't your God. I'm going to tell you that there is power in the name of God when we make him ours. When we are his children, we call upon him as our father. You will not be able to use someone else's name when we are standing before him. We will not be able to call the God of my wife, have mercy on me. It'd be only if you know him. And so here, what I find very interesting is the response of the evil spirit. I mean, it's not very often in Scripture that we actually have evil spirits talking. Yeah, a couple of times. But here we, can, we get a clear dialogue from an evil spirit. 
And it's interesting to me, his response. I mean, they, they, said they know exactly who Jesus is. That's no surprise there. They know exactly who Jesus is. And they knew who Paul was, but they didn't know who, who the seven brothers were. Now, could it be, and this is, listen, this is Captain talking. I don't have any scripture on this. Right? This is just me. My mind is racing and wondering. I'm not an expert on evil spirits or anything like that. But what I wanted to say is I got my mind wondering, could it be that evil spirits know the names of those who are their enemies? So those who are their enemies. I mean, they knew Paul, which tells me that his name was being thrown around in the demonic realm in some form. That this guy was a guy to watch out for. Perhaps even to attack if you see him. That's, that's, I don't know, that sort of thing. But these highly religious brothers were strangers to them. They were strangers representing the Jewish faith. They're strangers. I don't know you. I don't know you. And this got me asking myself. It actually did. I was sitting down writing and studying going, holy cow, do evil spirits know my name? Do they know my name? Or am I strangers to them? I don't know. That's something I think we all have to really sit there and think about. I don't have an answer for that. But I'm going to tell you that they knew Paul's name, and they considered him a threat. Consider him a dangerous place, a person to be with. And so now we come to the conclusion here, and, and Paul's time in Ephesus does eventually end. He was there for a long time, preaching and teaching, and the Spirit was falling on those people. And it ends with a very great, huge movement of the Lord. More and more came to know him. And there was a lot of other little steps and things that took place in, in, in Acts 19. But, but what, we, what we can take away from is that Ephesus was a very dark and demonic city. This is, this is something we can read about. That the black arts and the sorcery were common practices. This was something that was common. But after, what we can read is that after word got out about the possessed man beating the brothers, beating the Jewish religious officials, it says, the scripture says, that the people of that town started to line up and go see Paul and the believers, and they brought with them their scrolls of black magic, their scrolls of the black arts. And they brought in lines, and they handed them over and were asking for repentance. I'm giving it to you now. And so they started a bonfire, and they were throwing all of these things, all the wickedness into this fire. And the scripture says that there were so many scrolls that it took two lifetimes to earn the money to purchase them all. They were just throwing them away and throwing them away. And the city was being, being broken of this evil spirit. And, that's what, and that essentially, quite honestly, is nothing short of a spiritual revival that was taking place in this city. And then we kind of see Paul's time come to close. And one, one great way to end your time in that city, that's for sure. But his time at Ephesus does eventually come to an end. And he continues his missionary journey, planting more churches before he heads on back to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to tell you, I mean, for me, when I was reading through this and studying this, and I mean, goodness, I was, I was just like on the edge of my seat going, oh my, because I mean, I went to bed thinking, do, we, do the Spirit, do they know my, I don't, my goodness gracious, you know, I'm starting to, it just has me really focusing on 
How am I doing with my Lord? Where am I? Where is my heart and where is my mind? Where, where is my commitment? Where is all of these things with my God? And I don't, I don't want to be a person that, that says, well, the God that this guy preaches. It's in that guy. That's the one I'm ch- No, it's the one that I know. I know him. And he knows me. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into Ephesus, to Ephesians, and look through that, just through that, that follow-up, if you will, with Paul after this moment. And just kind of him beating them and saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. So, Father, we just pray this now, that as we look forward to the next few weeks and we dive into Ephesians, Lord, let your spirit please fall on us. Reveal to us your truth, your gospel. And may we, Father, be bold in our faith. Not that we preach it on somebody else, that that in the name of someone, but no, I know, you know, we know each other. So, Lord, it's in the name of only Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And so with this context, we'll start our journey into the book of Ephesians next week. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless. Thank you.